Welcome to the Safety Podcast. On September 3rd, we recorded a video dialogue with Sean Bagby and Casey Klein entitled PTA Outlook, COVID and Other Practice Issues. Here's that discussion. Hello, everyone. This is Sean Bagby. I am a PTA caucus delegate. And with me today is Casey Klein, who is a PTA at Midwestern University Therapies Institute. And she has been a PTA since 2014. She is also the PTA caucus alternate rep from Arizona and has been a guest lecturer at, um, or as a guest lecturer at Midwestern University and an adjunct faculty at Brookline College PTA program. And uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about PTAs and some of the current issues with COVID and questions that kind of get brought up to us a lot. With that, I'll turn it over to Casey and let her start uh, talking and we'll go from there. And if you guys have questions, please throw them in the comment section and we will address them. And we want this to be as interactive as we can be. So if there's anything you have questions about, please throw them at us. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so yeah, definitely any questions, you know, we want this to be an engaging conversation um, because it's one thing for me to sit here and, and preach to you all, but it's definitely something different when you hear it from other people. So please uh, throw your questions out. Um, so I'm gonna start to share my screen and I want to talk about PTAs. Um, and so really just to kind of give an overview and more education for the uh, physical therapist as opposed to the PTAs, because we know what we do, but for the physical therapist, PTAs get trained. Um, we're in a two-year associate's degree program, and it's usually anywhere between 50 and 60 credit hours that we get. Um, so we get some training in orthopedics and neurology and pathology. So we do have a good base understanding of a little bit of everything. You know, just like in PT school, you get a little bit of everything. Um, we cover all the topics. We also take a board exam, just as you do at a, a state jurisprudence exam. And then depending on the state, there's some continuing education that is required to maintain your certification or uh, licensure. Um, in Arizona, it's 10 hours per compliance period, but that hours will change state by state if it's required at all. Sean, do you, what, what's your requirement in your state? Yes. And so I'm actually licensed in three states and all three states have different team, uh, different um, there, but Indiana is 20, Illinois is 22 and Kentucky is somewhere right around there too, of like 20 hours. So like, yeah, it's a decent yeah. amount of continuing ed, but if we're going to be uh, active uh, in our profession, the continuing ed is just part of what we have to do to keep ourselves moving forward. So I always look Absolutely. at it as a challenge and challenge to become better at what I do. Absolutely. And I mean, I, we only need 10 hours, but I definitely could log way, way more than that. So um, yeah, I would, I would love to see those numbers go up and at least match what, um, what physical therapists uh, do. Um, so the difference between that and a technician, um, technicians are typically on the job training. There, there can be some technical programs that you can go through, but more than likely it's on the job training. Um, these are usually fresh out of high school kids um, or kids who are, you know, getting ready to go to that next higher level degree, that DPT degree. So they might have an undergrad in like kinesiology or biology, um, but most of the time it's on the job, uneducated, if you want to speak to that. And then, um, or sometimes this is even people's second and third career. So they're just kind of looking for something in the meantime. And uh, Casey, one of the things we see in the Midwest too is a lot of um, other credentialed holders. So athletic trainers, there are a lot of states, especially in the Midwest, I know that will use um, ATCs in, in PT extender roles. Right. Aren't trained to the PTA standards. And and there are certain things that ATCs are trained in, but when it comes to physical therapy, it's really that PT, PTA team we really should focus on and the quality control that is associated with that team dynamic. Um, full disclosure, I'm a PTA ATC, and there are definitely over, overlaps, but there are definitely things in the athletic training um, uh, realm that aren't covered, that are covered in the PTA education. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of brings me um, almost to my next point here is, let me advance this slide, the difference between a PTA versus a tech, and you can 
lump an ATC into that tech role is that technically by CMS standards, the PTA is the only person who can assist the physical therapist in doing the um, exercises and doing um, the treatment for the patient. So while that tech or ATC can, can monitor or, you know, they can't really perform. And I think that's a difference that um, people need to understand is the difference between performing and just monitoring. So your technician or ATC technically can't be modifying or doing anything with the treatment. Um, and you can see the difference between the PTA and the tech here on this slide, but bottom line between those two, even if they're, you know, depending on the education level, the PTA is the one that's billable under, under Medicare versus your technician or athletic trainer cannot be billed. Um, and so as soon as you transition that patient care over to that technician or athletic trainer or, or other professional, other person, um, they're no longer billable and now you're not getting reimbursed and potentially losing money in this situation. And just real quickly, uh, we've got a couple of people watching and Shirley uh, said that they don't have any continuing ed in Connecticut. And I know there are some states like that, but um, again, I think that's something we need to advocate as a profession is, is the maintenance of, of that. And Annie Hem is a PTA student from Texas watching us. So Annie, if you have questions during this, feel free to send us other questions. We'll gladly try to help you as you start on your journey through this process. Yeah. Yeah. Arizona um, just recently put into place the 10 hours of continuing education. So that was um, new to us for this new compliance period. Um, so um, going to supervision under Medicare, Going under supervision um, under Medicare, so Medicare states that all support staff has to be supervised by the DPT. Um, private practice is the only one that requires direct supervision at all times in order to be reimbursed. All the others can be general supervision unless the State Practice Act deems it to be more stringent, um, but usually the State Practice Act follows what Medicare rules and decides, and then um, the state follows underneath that. But if for whatever reason they're more stringent, then they would follow those guidelines. Um, so when you're looking at Part A versus Part B, Part A being more of like your acute care, skilled nursing facilities, hospital type settings, Part B being a you know more consistent with your outpatient settings, um, your PTA typically can go under general supervision. Um, and Part B, they cannot, you can't be reimbursed for general supervision. So not that the PTA couldn't do general supervised stuff, um, you just technically can't be reimbursed for that. So if you are going to be treating those Medicare patients, you wanna focus on trying to not do them under general supervision so that you can really recoup that money. Um, and then more recently, you know, since, since COVID has gone into effect, since the public health crisis has gone into effect, Synchronous telehealth services can be reimbursed for a PT and a PTA through direct supervision, um, but that's actually something that we're going to talk about here in a couple of slides when we talk about what that proposed budget cut that everybody's been buzzing about, what that is and what that means. And Casey, real quickly, I, I think one thing to, to note for people watching is that we talk about Medicare a lot in this, and we do that for a couple of different reasons. Medicare is the great um, unifying consistent within our country. So like the way I practiced in Indiana is dictated the same as the way Casey practices in Arizona, the way as someone who practices in, in Alaska when it comes to this patient population. There are different rules for even Medicaid to certain levels and private insurances that are more dictated based on state regulations but Medicare is the one consistent and it's the one consistent in our patient base throughout the nation. And it's a huge amount of our patients. So it is an important one to learn about and really delve in well. And I think this has really given a lot of people great information on where to go. So sorry, sorry. To yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I also think that a lot of the private health insurances tend to follow along with what Medicare dictates anyways. So if you know Medicare rules and if you know their general supervision, most likely the private insurances are going to follow along right with that. And there might be some variances here and there, but most of the time they're going to follow what Medicare wants. Yeah. And I, and I think that's important to also talk about, like, cause I'll probably repeat this seven times today, but when we talk about payment cut, 
the um, we extrapolated out, and so for the average, if you see six um, Medicare patients a day over a course of a year, it's going to be a cut of about sixteen thousand dollars per provider. Mm -hmm. I mean that is. And I think we only see six Medicare patients a day. But what is the reason why we advocate and why we have to be active is because if Medicare does this, what's going to stop Blue Cross Blue Shield from doing it? What's going to stop right. United? What's going to stop all those others from trying to follow suit? Right. And like, that's why we have to be upfront active and get in front of these early and, and change change what we do to, to promote the value of what we can do to help improve society through healthcare. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And that kind of goes, um, you know, oh, I put this in the wrong spot. That goes into this um, uh, benefits of using a PTA versus a technician. Um, you know, we, we talk about ways to advocate ourselves as PTAs and what we can do for ourselves. And just some of the things that a PTA can offer over a technician. Um, and maybe this should even be more or less um, directed at why you should use a PTA over a PT. Um, if you actually um, look at, you know, the PT, what a PT costs versus what a PTA costs, you are saving money in that sense. Um, but clinically, I mean, you can kind of see the comparison charts here. Clinically, your PTA can do so much more in, they can be in all the traditional settings. They can do all the the different things um, in the clinic. Obviously, I've put some asterisks next to their um, like spinal joint mobilizations and joint mobilizations and things like that. That's going to be a little bit more state practice act um, specific. So you'd have to refer to your individual state on whether you can or cannot perform those types of things. In Arizona, we can perform peripheral joint mobilizations um, up to a grade four. But clinically, um, PTAs can go get specialized in certain areas. They can get that LSVT big, lymphedema training, um, the APTA has the advanced proficiency pathway that you can go get certified in geriatrics and acute care, sports med, ortho, all those different things. And kind of what I think about with the advanced proficiency pathway for the PTA is um, the comparison being that if the physical therapist is getting board certified in orthopedics, this is the PTA answer to that. So you're not technically board certified, but you've gotten advanced training and you're specialized in that specific realm. Um, you know, we can get involved in education. We can go from an instructor of PTA programs to instructors of continuing education courses, doing your community outreach programs, you know, getting involved in nonprofits or special Olympics. Um, whereas your tech, can't really offer that. And so obviously, if you've got your hands in all these different areas, you're going to be knowledgeable in these areas. And that's so much more um, beneficial to the PTA to promote themselves and promote their worth in the clinic than, than anywhere else. Um, administratively, you know, we can look at clinic management, you know, PTAs can, in certain areas, can certainly own their own clinic. Obviously, you'd still have to have your physical therapist be there to do your evaluations and your, some of your treatments, but you can do clinic management and team leading. Um, you could go be an expert witness in a lawsuit for, you know, malpractice issues or whatever. Um, and then I've bolded and highlighted the PTA caucus representative and advocacy for the profession and I could go on a soapbox here. I'll let Sean go on a soapbox for, for, first on this one. <laughs> um, but before I go on a soapbox, I, I, I just want to remind people that if you have questions, especially on some of this when we start talking about advocacy, because I know everyone's got questions, feel free to put those in the comments so Casey and I can get to them and we'll get, we'll, we'll get to them. Um, but yeah, so advocacy is the, is the big dirty word in everything we do, right? No one likes to go meet with politicians. No one likes to do the hard stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, that, that's where we really prove our, our worth to, to society and to the people that we serve. We have to be involved in the process. And it, involvement comes with numbers. The more members we have, the more numbers we have that are supporting uh, physical therapy, the greater the voice we can have. Um, Absolutely. We have the chance to change people's lives. And I want to make sure that the generation that comes after me has that opportunity. 
And that's the reason I advocate. And that's the reason I want everyone here to advocate. Now you don't have to do it the level that Casey and I do it, but there are so many other ways you can support and feel free to reach out to us, reach out to advocacy.abta.org with questions. They can direct you. You can reach out to Casey or myself, and we will be more than willing to help put you and point you in the right direction. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the best ways when people ask how they can get involved and they don't have the time or the resources or the ability to dive in as deep as, you know, what we're, what Sean and I do is all volunteer. And so it's, you know, dedicating our time and energy into doing stuff like this. But for those people who can't do that for any number of reasons, go fill out those pre-populated forms that we have you know, they're already written up for you. You literally type in your name and you send it off. And just by doing that little act, it takes 30 seconds to do, two minutes to do, fill out that form and submit it to your Congress people. Um, that's a voice being heard. And, and again, things change when we have volume. And so the more people that we can get to send in those letters, the more advocacy we can have and the more change that can happen. And don't forget to have your students send them in, have your your coworkers send them in, have your parents send them in, have former patients send them in. The voices that need to be heard have to be heard and we have to be loud. Yep. We can, I, that's our soapbox that I, I mean, we could probably talk a whole talk about just advocacy, but I'll, I'll keep going for now. <laughs> um, you know, other ways that a PTA could be utilized um, that's a little bit outside of the role of clinical stuff. Um, go into sales. You can do durable medical equipment sales or EMR reps. Um, oftentimes those companies want the clinical mind person. So they understand the workings and the ins and the outs of the clinic and the patients and the flow and the equipment that's needed, but they, they need somebody to understand the equipment and be able to sell the equipment too. So things you can do for that. If you ever want to get on your documentation game, go do an insurance chart review or clinic site audit. Um, and then again, getting involved in the associations and the accreditations, getting in, um, go get involved in CAPD, go get involved in the NPTE, the APTA, um, PTA Empowerment, PTA Engage. There's so many places where you can get involved in it um, for association positions and advocacy. Um, Casey, real quick, there's a question from Rhonda about um, specialty certifications. And I'll really just list the apps, the Advanced Proficiency Pathways. And if people want to know more about those, let me know, and we'll be glad to host another one that, that we can talk to some people that have done those. And I actually was one of the uh, first to go through the orthopedic advanced practice pathway a uh, year, a couple of years ago. But there's acute care, cardiovascular palm, uh, geriatrics, oncology, ortho, peds, and then wound management. So there are areas where we can specialize in and we can have those conversations for anyone that has questions about it but um feel free to like reach out to us or again if you have questions that you want to know more specifically the email address is pta at apta.org that goes to apta and they can gladly help get you into the right contact with anyone that would um, be able to help answer those for your specific needs or if you're not already, go be a member of the APTA and then you can go on the website and find out this information. <laughs> There's my shameless plug. Um, okay, so PTA is really the meat and potatoes of PTAs and what we can do and what we um, are able to do. And what I think makes PTAs so unique is I like to think of it as PTAs can get you from point A to point B. So point A being your evaluation. PTAs can look at the evaluation of the physical therapist, interpret its meanings. They can look and understand what all the special tests are, the starting points of everything, how they came to physical therapy, whatever caused them to seek out treatment. We can look at that evaluation and interpret it. Two is your plan of care. How are we going to get you to where you need to go? So therapeutic exercise, therapeutic activities, gait training, modalities, soft tissue mobilizations, whatever it may be, that's all a part of your plan of care that the PTA can utilize and decide what to do and when to do it based off of the patient's um, response and then get you to point B, the goals and the discharge. So 
we know where we need to go, where we, we know where we need to end up. We have a plan on how to get there and we have an evaluation to go from. So we have your beginning, middle and end point and your PTA is prime person to go through that whole pathway. Um, we are knowledgeable in this. Um, we can do those objective measurements, the non-diagnosing. So there's, we can absolutely do the manual muscle testing, range of motion, gait and balance, functional testing, vitals. You know, definitely we can make that determination and that assessment from, you know, in their evaluation, they were a three out of five muscle grade on this body part. And then after their plant, their interventions, they are now a four out of five. Yes, they've met their goals or no, they need to continue on their goals. So we can make those assessments based off of that patient interaction and what we're doing every day and, and look at the whole person and decide how to get you from the start to the finish. Um, and this is by no means as a way to um, take away the value of a physical therapist. I think that's another misconception of what PTAs are trying to advocate for. We're not trying to be the physical therapist. We need you PTs. We need you to do your job. We just can execute it very well. Um, delegation of patients. Um, there is an APTA handout, which I have linked in, uh, I think a couple of slides before this, but um, there is an APTA handout that kind of walks through very easily what is an appropriate patient to delegate and which one is not appropriate to delegate to the PTA. Um, it's very easy, like yes, no algorithms that you can look through and decide um, for delegation, for decision-making, for problem-solving. It's a really, really handy tool if you're to just have um, in your clinic to try to, you know, or at least review to try to make decisions on um, how best to utilize a PTA because that's that PT-PTA um, collaborative experience. And um, so one thing I'd like to add on that is that comes from the PT, PTA team toolkit, which mm -hmm. was put together. It's an APTA document we created several years ago. And um, it's a great reference to have. Um, as PTAs, we're all taught how to interact as part of that PT, PTA team, right? Not every PT gets that interaction or that understanding. I was lucky enough to go to a university that had a, uh, at that time, I'm telling my age, master's program in PT and a PTA program. And the students, we all interacted together and we knew each other. When we came out, we knew each other and we started working together, right? It, it, it was easy in those areas. Not, not everyone has that. And not everyone has that now, especially with the transition to DPT. Um, so one of the things is, is really look at that information because we tried to spell that out. Again, if there's questions from it, you can always reach out to PTA at APTA.org and ask those questions and we can help um, answer those. And also there was a question for us about if the PowerPoint would be shared. Uh, this is going to be up so you can always come back and look at it. If you want to reach out to Casey or myself or again to APTA, to the PTA at APTA.org email address. Um, that is the best way to get a hold of any of us and we can help with facilitating whatever your needs are for some of this information that we're presenting today. Yeah, and I definitely think um, that PT, PTA team, and that's essentially what I'm hoping this first half, you know, the second half of what I'm about to get into is gonna talk a little bit more about the implications of COVID and budget cuts and things like that, but really to educate the PTs on what a PTA can do why we're valuable in the clinic and why we should be utilized in the clinic. Um, because I think that is a missing piece in a lot of the DPT programs is what a PTA does. I think they kind of briefly cover the topics of there's this thing that exists called a PTA, but they're just a, a set of hands for you. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't know that they really understand the, the breadth and depth of our knowledge base so that we can, um, help you in the clinic versus having you, you know, watch, stand over our shoulders and watch us on every move that we make. Um, you know, not that we don't appreciate that, but we can do some things that are pretty independent. So, <laughs> um, so other stuff that uh, people ask me about all the time is like, what continuing education topics should I be looking at? Where should I be focusing my time and energy? I'm not really sure how to best help my patients in the clinic. 
So I always reference people to pain management, chronic pain, pain management type stuff, um, because that's what a good chunk of patients are. Um, yes, you do have those post-operative patients that you're treating, but a lot of the patients, particularly an outpatient that you're seeing is chronic pain. Um, and if you don't have a really good understanding of everything that goes into chronic pain and pain management, you're really missing a huge, huge piece on getting that patient better. So as much information as you can get on chronic pain, more recently, I would definitely look into cardiopulmonary management, cardiovascular, telehealth, um, respiratory management. Um, APTA has just come up with the PACER project for COVID-19 treatment. Um, but specifically, cardiopulmonary stuff, um, I, that's going to be a twofold. One, it's for, for COVID-19 treatment. But two, how many PTAs out there have gotten that patient where it's the geriatric patient who just needs, you know, it's general debility and weakness, and they just need to get better, right? Just to be able to do functional everyday activities. How are you genuinely measuring their progress? Yeah, you can measure a muscle test, and yeah, you can measure range of motion or gait or balance or something like that. But really, are you improving their cardiopulmonary you know, system to tolerate these things and to have that endurance. So I think a lot of the times in, in uh, documentation purposes, we talk about, you know, perform this exercise to improve endurance, but then we're not taking any objective measurements to talk about their endurance improvement. So um, I would look into those specifically. So Casey, we've got a question. We've got a question and actually two. Um, James was told that from his employer, PTA cannot make the determination of goals are met. And so another part of where that, another part of the question then from that was, um, can you explain more specifically how addressing goals as a PTA and kind of how that fits in and just kind of clear that up for people? Yeah. So no, technically speaking, they cannot make the determination of goals are met, right? But how many times have you been, um, the patient has been evaluated by the physical therapist. They've been delegated to the PTA. And now the PTA has been treating that patient for the last eight to 10 visits. And now it's the reevaluation time that they've been put back on the DPT schedule. And the DPT is going, what just happened? Like wh what's going on with the patient? Where have they been? Are they going to go back and read through all eight, 10 notes that you've written? Probably not. They're going to have that conversation with you one-on-one -on -one to say, give me the five second elevator pitch on what, what's going on with this patient. And so you can say, I took these objective measurements because you really should be taking objective measurements of some sort on visit, right? To make sure that what you're doing is progressing that patient along. So you can say, I've made that um, objective measurements. They've improved their strength each time. This is where we're at. Um, they've, you know, you've met their, you've put their goals to be at a four out of five. And so they've met their goals from that three to four or from this to that. We've achieved that in the process. So it's not, it's more reporting on what you did and how you got them there because that's what you're trying to accomplish. So it's not like you are say, you know, it's not like you're, you're making the determination on the paperwork and saying, yes, they have achieved their goals. You are just using your brain as a PTA and your knowledge and your experience and what you're trained to do to say, we started here. This is the things that we've worked on and we've accomplished what we've achieved or what we were set out to do. So you're not document. Does that make you're sense? Not, you're not doing the assessment portion of that. We're leaving that up to the therapist itself. But right. part of the interaction is you are the extender, you are the hands of that PT. And that's where the teamwork comes into play. And I think we, we got a comment from um, Anthony and like, if anyone knows Anthony, he is a staunch advocate and servant of our field of physical therapy. And uh, just kind of like all in all that he's watching this right now, but he's talking about how invaluable PTAs are to his clinics and the pra practice that he uh, serves. So thank you for that, sir. Yay, uh, thank you. And then there was um, a question to us about how do we improve the lack of understanding PTA, PT programs for that? Um, you know what? This is how we do it. We have these conversations. Um, reach out. I, I have no problem talking to any PT program that wants to listen 
about it. I have no problem being the person that goes out and talks to them. And we need, we need people to do that, that understand what the PT, PTA team and relationships like, and then model that in understanding how we serve our society best by being effective in the team. Um, I, I live and work in rural communities and rural communities, there aren't enough of us to go along PTs and PTAs. So we have to be a strong team in order to advance what we need to do to take care of the society that we treat. We have such a place in healthcare where we can change the outcomes for people's lives, but we're going to be more effective when we do it together. Yeah, and I'm currently working with a PTA educator here in Arizona that we are actually working on coming up with um, kind of two different talks. One is why a PTA is effective. And then the second talk is how to use a PTA because it's one thing to understand what a PTA does or how we're, um, you know, our role in the clinic. But then how do you actually carry out that conversation? How do you carry out that relationship? How do you carry out patient management, right? So we're coming up with um, those two talks and we're just going to pitch it to all the PTE programs in Arizona. Um, because the PT programs in their programs, they have, they are talking about the role of a PTA and what they do. And so that's already built into their program. We're just going to pitch it to them of, Hey, let us come do that lecture for you for that day. Like we're, we don't need an entire course on it. Just let us teach that one lecture on that one day. Let us come talk to you about it. And then, you know, that way we get it out there on how we can be involved in PTA. So in your own state, in your own, wherever you're watching from, I would say, come up with that information, come up with that talk, and then go pitch it to your DPT programs to say, you know, I have this talk for you to educate your DPT students on what we can do and how we can do it. Um, you know, let us do that talk for you. And Rhonda, I just saw your question about um, speaking for your program at South College, uh, send me a DM and I will gladly do whatever you need and we'll get that set up. Um, South College, uh, Don Reagan is a great uh, mentor of mine and, and like I've seen what the work you guys do at South and that's awesome and I would be more than willing to do that. I'd be happy to come speak to whoever wants to pay for a flight specifically to like the Midwest region in the fall. I'm, I'm on, I'm on a plane. I'm ready to go. But the hundred degree weather in Arizona doesn't do it for you. Yeah. You know, I've lived here my whole life and I'm kind of, you know, I could use a little break from it. So if anybody wants me to come talk to their PT programs, I would, you know, and wants to pay for a flight for me in a hotel. I, I'll be on that plane tomorrow. <laughs> All right. So, um, just to kind of reiterate some other options of what a PTA can do, um, especially like trying to be creative in these COVID times where um, some PTAs are having to figure out what to do with themselves now that we don't have patients in the clinic, um, outpatient at least. Uh, acute care might be a little bit different or home health might be different, um, but PTAs can definitely do telehealth for their patients. Um, you know, I would say that if a, if a patient is acute or insignificant enough pain to come into the clinic themselves, I would say the PT should treat that person and let the PTA treat their telehealth patients. Um, so you can definitely do telehealth. A lot of PTAs or um, practices are worried about fall risk and liabilities. There are tons of webinars and resources out there that talk about how you can get around the fall risk and the liabilities and how you can safely treat your patients at home. Um, through telehealth and what things you need to have in place in order to do that kind of stuff. So um, if you're interested in doing telehealth, I would refer you to that. Do, you know, marketing options for your clinic. Come up with those continued care programs, the educational series, you know, put it on your website, a blog post from the provider about a topic of, you know, how to treat, you know, stiffness in your low back from sitting all day now that we're all at home and on computers. Um, short little videos that you can post onto your company Facebook page, just wherever you can find a need and fill it. So that's my motto that I like to find, you know, like to spew out is find a need that's in your practice, in your patients that you need, um, find whatever need it is and fill it for them. So many times that there are so many things where people are like, oh, I wish PTAs could do this, or I wish we could do that. 
And the only reason it doesn't get done is because nobody's stepping up to the plate to do it. So be that person, step up to the plate and do it. Now, meat and potatoes. Um, the, the outlook of PTA employment. I think this is a big topic that a lot of people want to know about. So I pulled the numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, for 2019 was the last information that they published and they pulled the information from the year prior from 2018. So the downside of the BLS in reporting this information on the median pay and the job outlook is one, it was in 2018. So that's might as well have been a lifetime ago. And two, they've combined PTA and tech positions together, which is really, really bad because PTAs, especially for that median pay range, PTAs are a professional pay range. They're in that, I mean, I think the lowest I've kind of seen is a $20 an hour, but $20 an hour plus, they're up to 20, 30, maybe even 40 or 50 per visit, depending on you know what setting that you're in. They're in that professional pay range, whereas your technician is a little bit lower pay range, more of that minimum wage. So to combine those two together, it doesn't read well when you're looking at a, a median pay. Um, and then your job outlook of a 26% increase, again, that's combined PTA and technicians. And so that has to break down into the specific model of the business on how we're gonna move forward on um, the role of a PTA in a clinic. So I don't like the Bureau of Labor Statistics information. So instead, what I did, I took a poll on, P on uh, Facebook of PTAs um, nationally. I put this on the Physical Therapist Assistant Professional Facebook page, and I got a response of 457 people. Um, and I did this in June. And in June, we saw a 60, roughly 60% 60 of PTAs were still employed full-time. 19, almost 20% of PTAs were unemployed and to give you reference, because I broke these all out into um, if it was affected by COVID or unaffected by COVID, only 1% of those unemployed were unemployed prior to COVID. Oh, we had a huge hit. Um, so almost an 18, 19% unemployment rate among PTAs directly related to COVID and lack of patient care, uh, lack of patient census rather. Um, there was, the other numbers are down there. You can kind of see for yourself of where people are, are at. And it split out pretty much half and half on whether they were part-time prior to COVID or part-time because of COVID. Um, and then the furloughed, there was, you know, three, almost 4% of people were furloughed since March or April and then had no idea when they were going to be coming back. So that's a kind of a big number of people who got furloughed from this. So, I reposted this poll just last week um, and I got slightly less, but 449 PTAs responded to this poll again. And we saw a little bit of a dip in the unemployment rate. So we went from 19% down to 15.4%. Um, and again, 13% of all of those polled were directly related to COVID and were unemployed because of it. So we're seeing that trend down, um, but that's still a pretty high number. We're still at a 5%, roughly 5% of furloughed. Um, and a lot of the, you can see about 57% are still full-time, but a quarter, half of those people roughly are now assigned new, new duties. So they're really not doing any clinic care or patient care. They're doing things like temperature taking or folding laundry or other you know, admin stuff that is not technically PTA related, but they still have a job. So kind of hard to find. So real quickly, Casey, something you brought up was about payment and our pay. Um, one of the best resources uh, comes from um, a, uh, anyone know the name Ben Fung, um, who is an APTA member, but also runs UpDoc Media. They do a lot of research that looks into pay for uh, providers and trying to break down the mystique of not talking about salaries. Um, so I would encourage people to check out his information, uh, their information over there, because that that is a really good place to find some of that. And like, it's an open source information, so they want people to input their information. 
So it's anonymous from you, but it also gives all of us the opportunity to see what's happening in, um, in salary ranges for us all. Yeah. That yeah, that's a great resource. Um, so I'm going to get one last slide in here. Um, hopefully all of these numbers will start to trend um, a little bit better to where we see less of an unemployment rate and more back into that full-time realm. Um, and hopefully, you know, especially that part-time, a lot of people were brought back from furloughed status or were, you know, ducked down from full-time down to part-time because of COVID. So um, hopefully we'll start to see those numbers boost up a little bit more. Now, people are also worried about um, this budget cut that's coming up. Um, that we've all been talking so much about. And first, to kind of give, if you haven't been following along, if you have, if you have no idea what we're talking about, other than there's going to be a 9% budget cut, what are we talking about? CMS has proposed this, what was the potential 8% budget cut last year that we advocated so hard against is now coming up again. It got delayed and it's now coming up again this year. And it's now a 9%, closer to 9% budget cut proposal. Um, this would take effect January 1st. The final ruling and decision is going to happen December 1st. So all of our advocacy needs to happen between now and then so that we can make our voice loud and proud to say that we should not have these budget cuts. But essentially what it's doing is the proposed budget cuts is to cut the billing codes for treatment and in order to increase payment and um, increase the payment for evaluation and reevaluation codes. So even though the evaluation and reevaluation codes are increasing, it doesn't balance out the cut in the treatment codes and it's not you know going to be effective enough to, to balance it out. So it's an overall 9% cut for all rehab, all therapy. So it's PT, OT, and speech. It's not just specific to PT. It's it's all the rehabs. And it's not specific to PTA, it's, it's the therapy in general. Um, part of this was that synchronous telehealth is not reimbursable after the public health emergency is declared over. So um, I think that's a huge issue as well because just because the public health emergency is declared as over doesn't necessarily mean that the patient is comfortable with coming back into the clinic and exposing themselves back again. So um, if they continue on telehealth or, you know, telehealth for any number of reasons, convenience being one of them, um, it would not be reimbursable for synchronous telehealth. Um, asynchronous telehealth would still be reimbursable under that. Um, new, and I think a positive to this, is PTAs and CODAs would then would now be permitted to provide maintenance therapy, which I think is a great thing. Um, you know, it gives us a little bit more freedom and freeze up the PT's schedule to do more evaluations or, you know, treatments on other people and the PTAs can do maintenance therapy. Um, and yeah, so, so we just really need to advocate for that before the December 1st um, cut. So that's all I have for my, my presentation. So um, I don't know if you want to jump in about any budget cut. Yeah, and before I do, we've got about uh, 15 or so minutes left. And so questions or comments that you would like Casey and I to address, please do so. Um, and um, really, like, this is important time to advocate for us. Um, like I said earlier, like, if you break it down to clinician, you're talking about a lot of money per, per provider, right? And, and we struggle seeing the financial side of, of what we do, right? Because we, it's not like we, unless you're a private practice owner and unless you're like intimately knowledgeable of like insurance reimbursement and things like that, we just see a cut and we see it happening. It's like, oh, well, it's something we have to adjust to. We have to adjust to. This is not, this is something that puts our patients in jeopardy because clinics can't keep their doors open if we're taking this amount of money out from their, from their budgets. Um, your mom and pop shops are not getting rich providing physical therapy. Absolutely. A lot of places are not. This is our opportunity to advocate for what we do. If you value what we do, then we have to do it. 
Um, and that's why we ha have to. Yeah. So Marjorie asked a question, is this different than last year? Last year was a general cut, not just to PTA services. So just for clarification, when we talk about the differential for PTA provided services, that does not kick in until 2022. What we're talking about right now affects all of us, PTOT speech. This will affect all of the rehabilitation world and it's a 9% cut right now. So when you start compiling what's coming on in the future and things like this, this is a huge market of where we are going to take a hit unless we be act, can be active right now. Mm -hmm. So this is not just a PTA issue. This is a profession issue. And even when we talk about the 15% cut, that's not just a PTA issue either. It's a profession issue. We can't silo ourselves into PTAs and PT issues. This is affects all of us and we're a team and we have to do these things together. I'm looking at the chat box too, um, going back up to a comment that uh, David said was, um, he says it's a two-way street and the PT has to earn our, our respect as well. They do have a longer education than us, but for someone like me, 26 years in the field, they have to understand that I may and probably have more skills than they do just coming out of school. Communication is the main key here in my opinion. Absolutely, I definitely agree. Um, there are definitely, you know, experience, in my opinion, experience definitely trumps education. Um, how many people have you known that are, have degree, you know, seven degrees on the wall, but they can't tell you which way is north, south, east, and west. Like, you know, not to, like, they're very textbook smart and they theoretically can understand all of the concepts, but when you're actually in the clinic, um, that's where you really gain your skills and, and experience and definitely that, again, that PT, PTA team and that communication needs to happen um, and, and respect needs to go both ways um, for sure in this. And that's another um, topic. And maybe I think, um, well, shoot, I don't know if I want to talk about that for PTA um, uh, advocacy in the, in the profession um, and inclusivity of PTAs, or if we want to address the continue talking about the 9% cut. I'd say let's talk about the 9% cut first. Okay. Go ahead. So uh, Shirley has a question about maintenance therapy and if it's skilled. And that is a great question. And there's been some changes on with the public health emergency on maintenance therapy. Um, it is not something I totally understand. And I don't want to point you in the wrong direction. But I want to give you the place to go to. And if you go to practice dot or dash department at apta.org, they would be the ones that can answer that for you. Um, that is something that is left on the advocacy front is the ability to continue to have PTAs provide maintenance therapy. Uh, maintenance therapy is a little different. It comes out of the uh, uh, Jimbo decision a couple of years ago, and there needs to be those um, ability to like understand that a little bit better. It's not something I have the greatest grasp on and don't want to take you the wrong direction with that. So surely reach out to the practice department. They'd be able to answer that question for you. Uh, Alexandra, the 9% cut is Medicare right now, but all insurance companies basically will follow what Medicare does. That's the way it's always worked. That's the way they always try to work it. So Medicare sets the tone and then everyone else follows. That's why we have to be on this right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Please keep posting any questions that you might have, um, questions, comments, concerns um, that you might have that we can address here. Um, you know, we wanna be respectful of everybody's time, but if you have a, a burning question or comment, definitely let us know. Um, I know one of the things that I've heard a lot about from PTAs, just reaching out and talking to people and um, listening to people on, on social media and things like that, is that they feel that they're not equally represented. PTAs are not equally represented in the APTA. Um, and I think one of the things that people need to understand, especially PTAs need to understand a little bit is when, when platforms address physical therapy, they are addressing it more along the lines of the profession, not necessarily specific to a physical therapist. 
Um, I think, I don't know if, if you've ever seen this where like it's a continuing education course and it's like all physical therapists welcome. Well, it can apply to a PTA too. It's not exclusive to a PT. Um, so I would just say, you know, I wish people would get the word out there more that it to be more inclusive and include PTA in those types of things. Um, but understanding that it's not necessarily specific to a physical therapist, it is, it's to the profession. Um, but again, APTA is very open to PTAs, but again, we don't have enough people with enough voice to come talk and do these advocacy things and, and reach out. So please get involved. Um, and that's how we move things forward with the PTAs and having equal representation, I think. Yeah, and uh, 100% agree. And, and like, for the people that might not be APTA members watching this today, like, the ability to be inclusive within APTA is amazing. Uh, I've been an active member going on 17, 18 years. And Throughout my career, it has made such a huge difference on the relationships and the people I know and the staff members I've gotten to know with APTA and being able to reach out. And in those times that are hard that we all go through professionally, man, there were always people that I could talk to and find out like, hey, when we're starting a private practice, what's it like? Well, here are the people you need to talk to and you get to know these people. And um this, this is part of what your membership does. It helps us advocate. It helps put you in connection with great leaders and it helps get us all going in the right direction. Our voice has to be strong and the better that we can do it together, the better we can promote the profession. At the end of the day, we all want our patients to get better. APTA is the, is the boat that helps us get that voice heard and that's why we need to do it. Um, Alexander had another comment about what she could do more. Um, yeah, send those, send the letters, send the CSM. If you go to advocacy or send the email to advocacy at apta.org, they can help you with other ideas on how you do it. But like call your local congressional leader's office and make sure you have a relationship with them and talk to them. Let them know why these things are impactful, what difference it makes what it's going to do to your business if something like this occurs. Write a letter to the um, editor of your newspaper. Get the word out and be loud. We tend to be very quiet and not vocal about things that are occurring that affect us. We have to be loud and active in order to make a change. I'm a heck of an introvert. If I can do something like this, we all can do it. And I would even say reach out and find out who your PTA representative is or your alternate representative is and contact them to let you to let you them know what your stance is on certain things. Because oftentimes, I mean, as the alternate rep for Arizona, I'm kind of just looking at all the information and trying to make the best decision that I can for advocate, advocating for PTAs. But I don't necessarily know what the general population of PTAs in Arizona's stance is on things because I don't have that connection with them and nobody's reached out to me. So um, if you feel strongly about something, just even reaching out to your representative to talk about what's going on and where you stand and where your opinion is on that so that we can take that information to our representatives and get that moved up into, um, into the voices that need to, into the ears that need to hear it. 100%. And, and just want to remind everyone that this video will stay up on um, the Facebook page, but then it will also be archived on the APTA's website. So you'll have places where you can go back and read watches. And again, if you have questions, feel free to either send me a DM or reach out to me or reach out to Casey and we'll gladly answer whatever we can, or at least get you pointed in the right direction. There is a, there's one more question about uh, Medicare's proposed 15% reduction and reimbursement for services billed by PTA. And so I would say like wording matters in this. It's not billed. Um, it is provided by the PTA as part of the PT, PTA team. So when we talk about reimbursement and things like that, that is what would be coming in 2022, okay? Not next year, but the year after that. The 9% cut that we're talking about right now is what will occur in 2021 
unless we can get this overturned. The 15% reduction for services provided by the PTA during the PT, PTA team treatment, that would happen in 2022. That is a different issue. That's one we have to fight and advocate for. But this one, the 9% is the most urgent one that we have to work on. Um, APTA has been working on that 15% reduction since it came out years ago. And we've been, you cannot even put into words the time and effort that APTA staff and members invest in trying to make changes. And they work their, their rear ends off trying to do this. The, the staff of the advocacy department of the regulatory affairs department of membership does so much for the profession that goes beyond what we do is what our membership does. And it is an amazing effort that they put in. We've just got to help do them by doing the little things, by sending the letters, by getting more people active, by getting more people to comment. These are how we can make changes on a regulatory level. It is nothing APTA has done that, that has put us into this position or not done that has allowed this position to occur. This is us trying to change the way that the profession is viewed externally, and we have to be active in that process to do it. Yeah, and I would say to those practice managers out there, you know, this is similar to like a doctor and a physician's assistant. The physician assistant has that, you know, lower billable or uh, lower provided um, rates as well, but you still don't see the physician assistant going away. So, some, you know, some money is better than no money, in my opinion. You know, I'd rather get reimbursed a little bit than, than not at all. Um, and you'd have to look at individual numbers on that. But, um, but yeah, we definitely need to fight this and we definitely, we, we, can make changes. We have made changes. We have been fighting this for a long time. This isn't anything new. So as long as we can maintain our voice and maintain this progress going forward, we can, um, you know, stave that off for longer. And, and, and you can make change. I mean, we have made change in, in places not wanting to reimburse for the PTPTA team. We've made changes in TRICARE. Now that took 17 years of my life. But we finally got it done, guys. We can make changes, but we have to be active in it. Um, one thing I want to list is that if anyone needs uh, to go find the letters to send to your congressional leaders to CSM, please, please, please go do that. Uh, if you go to apta.org slash fight the cut, that's where you're going to get access try to that one. I think there was one final comment before we end this. Uh, this discussion is scaring me as a PTA student. It almost sounds like companies will have to cut down on PTAs since they might not be able to afford to stay open. So I think that's what the poll was showing was like those, those reduction in PTAs. But again, the more that we can fight against this, the, the more chance that you have as a PTA to, to be in the profession. Um, and, and fight for your position, right? So it is scary and, and maybe Sean, you can talk to this a little bit more, but I think there's a little bit of a pendulum swing that happens where there's this really scary, like, oh my gosh, PTAs as a profession is completely gonna go away and we won't even be here anymore. Back to like, holy cow, we don't have enough PTAs. Where are they? Yeah, it, in, and every issue that comes up is a new issue. And it's, it's not just PTAs, it's, it's the profession of physical therapy in general. We have to take ownership of how we define it and where we set forth the metric of, of where we can treat and what we can do and how the, the profession of physical therapy can move forward. If we do that, there's enough patients for all of us to treat and there's enough patients for that can be treated for decades for the amount of therapists we have. We have to determine if we're going to fight and, and, and do it, or are we going to accept what an insurance company or someone else dictates to us? This is not the time for that. Well, with that, Casey, you have any final thoughts? My final thoughts are PTA, stay strong, stay vigilant in your voice, be active in your profession. Um, don't just let this be a job for you. Be active in the profession and uphold what we value so much, which is patient care. Um, and I think even though in these 
crazy times and scary times where we're not seeing patients in the clinic, we're worried about our jobs, we're worried about what's going to happen next. Um, I think this is the prime time to get all of your continuing education in and get um, as much knowledge as you, as you can possibly have and find ways to make yourself valuable to the clinic that they can't get rid of you because you're the only one that knows how to treat that post-COVID patient, which outpatient is going to get flooded with them. We know we will. It's going to be a matter of time. So, um, you know, stay strong, stay in there. I know there's a lot of doom and gloom that's surrounding the PTA profession, but we are valuable to the profession. We are valuable as um, providers to patient care and we make a difference. And um, again, engage, get involved, get active, whether it's, you know, just reaching out to your, to your representatives of your state or you're becoming part of the APTA where you have so many opportunities to get involved in every possible thing you can imagine. Um, just, just stay vigilant and, um, and stay strong and good luck out there. <laughs> Um, guys, if there's any questions or anything, feel free to reach out to me in DMs or leave a message here for us. We'll monitor these, uh, this as people are going back and watching it. But um, the future for our profession is bright if we're willing to fight for it. If we're willing to fight for it, we can change the way that, that healthcare is. And physical therapy is an example of where we can do that. The future's bright. We've just got to make sure we, we create that future that we want. With that being said, if you have any uh, ideas or any other conversations you'd like to see in the future for us, please reach out and let us know. And with that, I hope you guys have a great day. Take care. Bye. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.